think this one was uh, was a great was a great goal for me. Uh, yeah, when I headed down and I ran to the corner flag, I looked to my left and I just saw my teammates running towards me, and uh, yeah, it was a great feeling. You know, um, you know, we've waited for this moment for you know for a long time. 7.04 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, hour two of the program, which is now underway, is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. It is time now. For the soccer report, brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed, pro all the way. We will start with an update. Both matches uh, of this group featuring Australia, Denmark, Tunisia, and France are underway. Uh, France has already punched its ticket to the round of 16. They are just waiting on uh, what spot they'll finish in, first or second. Um, this is group D by the way. And right now it'll work like this. Australia technically in the driver's seat for second place, right? They've got four points through two matches. Sorry. They got three points through two matches. Uh, Denmark and Tunisia only have the one. So really, if you're looking at this Australia, who's nil nil with Denmark right now can just scratch and claw for a tie and then, and then get their way through. Denmark has to win. Right. And this is assuming, and it's a safe assumption, that France, at the worst, is going to drop a couple points or one point to Tunisia, but Tunisia will still finish with two. So I'm going to say it's going to be France that will finish atop the group, and then it'll be Australia or Denmark in a coin toss for second in the group. So that is what's happening right now. Things, to be perfectly honest, they get more interesting at 11 a.m. this morning mm-hmm. because you've got Argentina and Lionel Messi. You've got Poland and Robert Lewandowski. You've got a Mexican side that is in danger of not qualifying for the round of 16 for the first time in seven tournaments. So you've got a lot more at stake, quite honestly, in the second phase of the matches this morning at 11 a.m. Do you know what else you've got? If Argentina finished second in the group. Which is entirely possible given that early loss to Saudi Arabia. They would play probably France. Yes, in that is the correct. round of sixteen, yeah. France versus Argentina, and the winner of that one would play the winner of England, and Senegal, yeah. and Senegal. So, um, I mean, you're you're talking about some, uh, you know, and, and and I'm not assuming that England's going to walk over Senegal, but they'll be favored to win that one. Uh, Senegal's the best team in Africa; uh, they're a top twenty team in the world, but they are missing a key player. Sadio Mane from Liverpool, who was ruled out with an injury just a couple weeks before the World Cup. But this is this is where it gets really exciting. Uh, I know Canada won't be part of this, but when you start seeing the draw, and mm-hmm. sometimes you can have an easy draw. You can look at it and be like, oh my God, we got lucky with that draw. Yes. You know, there was an upset in this group, so we'll take advantage of that. Um, or this this team didn't even make it out of the groups and we're going to take advantage of that. Yeah. Other times you can look at the path to the world cup final and you're like, Oh boy, this is going to be hard. Yeah. I mean, all due respect to the run that England went on uh, at the last world cup of 2018 in, um, in Russia. I mean, they got a pretty favorable draw. I mean, it, the group worked in their favor, the bracket. Cause here's the thing. The bracket can either play to your advantage or can really be a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Right. So for example, I remember looking 
Oh, wow. Tunisia has just gone up one nil on France, but it's offside. Okay. Uh, I remember looking at the, the, uh, the way the odds shifted for this tournament after the Saudis beat Argentina in that stunning game in the opening game for both. One of the biggest upsets in World Cup history. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out, I'm like, well, what's the runoff effect here? Or the knock-on effect, if you will. And it, what it was, it wasn't that they were fearful of Argentina being eliminated from the tournament. Odds makers were like, Argentina's probably going to still advance. Right. But their chances of being second in the group now mm-hmm. are much higher, which means you're going up against the winner of another group. In this case, could be France. And that's a totally different road. You run into a different part of the bracket. You run into a much different and more difficult round of 16 opponent. So that's why the entire tournament kind of shifted on its head from that one upset. Now, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the draws here. Um, we got a text in from Colin in Tawas, and it is a, what, what we learned. Hashtag it WWL. And he writes, If winning CONCACAF meant something for seeding at the World Cup, Canada would have had a much better chance of going through to the playoff round. Round of 16. USA's draw ended up being an easier route, and they took advantage of it. Um, here's the thing, Colin. The seeding was based on like FIFA points and FIFA rankings. Yeah, it, it had nothing to do with them winning the tournament. Did like it? winning CONCACAF got their FIFA ranking higher. Being the first team in CONCACAF got it higher, but it's this very weird algorithm that has to do with a bunch of different factors, not just how you did in qualifying. Mm. But you'll, if you'll recall, and hopefully you don't, because that means you're paying way too close attention to my nonstop soccer talk, but I remember I had a long conversation. We brought Peter Galindo on the show, and there was a difference between being a quote-unquote pot four team going into the World Cup <laughs> oh, yeah, and being a pot three team. Uh, layman's terms... If you're a pot four team, it means you're you're designed to be the minnow of the group. Yeah. If you're a pot three team, it means you're like the third best team in your group, and there should be like a crappier team below you. I know this is really simplistic, mm-hmm. but that's the best way of explaining it. When we're when it is said and done, and we look back on Canada's time at this World Cup, we are going to realize just how difficult their group might have been, and that it might have been the most difficult group. I won't say group of death, mm-hmm. but well, we had all thought that maybe that. England, uh, USA, Iran, and, and Wales group was the group of death. If there was one. On it, 100% yeah. wasn't. It was hyped no. up because of the geopolitical presence, but let's be blunt here. And Wales apo- was very disappointing. Apologies to our Welsh contingency mm-hmm. contingent on the, the Halford and Brescia, but Wales was a complete debacle this tournament. Yeah. They were bad. They they played timid. They didn't really put up much of a fight except for the first, the second half against the U.S. Yeah. That was really all they had was 45 minutes of not even really good play, but just they, they showed some heart and they fought back. Mm-hmm. That group, England just kind of put it in cruise control and took control of whatever they needed to. It wasn't a resounding – like they blew out Iran in the first match, but everyone was like, well, Iran had some clear issues going into that match. Yes. Um, and then the U.S. kind of had a really – England had a really dour – draw against the u.s where they were like we're fine playing nil nil if you are yeah and the u.s was like we'll work hard but we'll also take the nil nil that's good Mm -hmm. for us as well and then wales was it was a blowout yesterday they just took care of wales a very uninspired wales team i mention all this because i think tomorrow when canada takes on morocco everyone's going to get a real sense of just how good this group is because uh, morocco one has played right to the top of it they went nil-nil with Croatia in what was a very crafty duel mm-hmm. because you had to match that midfield of Croatia. And then they went out and beat Belgium 2-0. So not only did they shut down the Belgian attack, they were able to find the back of the net twice. 
you don't know. Like you, you joked in the notes. You're like, this may, might be the first time I've ever cheered against Morocco in anything. Yeah, no, um, I can't. I can't remember ever hear, having hard feelings about Morocco. Hey, like, why would you? It just sounds right? like a place that I'd like to visit someday. Yeah, a quick vacation, yeah. a jaunt over the weekend. Mm-hmm. I could do that, but well, um, I think it's more than a weekend trip. Yeah, I know. Um, if we're talking about quality of opponent. What you're going to see tomorrow is a team that's, one, going to be hugely motivated because they know that they control their own destiny to a certain degree. And two, much like Croatia and much like Belgium, has a bunch of very good, very technically accomplished players that are playing for high-profile clubs at top five European leagues. Hakimi, Ziyech, you're going to see these names and you're going to be like, he plays at PSG. He plays at Chelsea. Mm. These guys have class and they have quality. And they know that putting away a Canadian team that was the second team eliminated from this tournament and is playing for pride right now is their their foremost goal. What will it mean if Canada wins this game against Morocco? Will it mean... Well, I'll be shocked. Okay. Uh, and it would probably be... It would be I'd, be... I'd be very impressed with the lads if they were able to do that. Right. Because... But really, some people would say, well, it doesn't really mean anything. It would mean something. Yeah. It would mean something. But to be honest, I'm going to be less focused on the result and more on what the performance is going to look like. Right. Because right now they're licking their wounds and this starts from John Herdman all the way down mm-hmm. about their approach to matches because being big and bold and brave, like a guy Fieri restaurant with all the flavors, <laughs> uh, it worked against Belgium and it caved them in against Croatia. Yeah. The reviews for the, uh, Canada Croatia match were much like the reviews for a Guy Fieri restaurant. So the Times Square one, you remember that? When you opened up a restaurant in Times Square? Anyway, uh, so I'll be curious to see that. Secondly, I'll be curious to see what Herdman does because this is the match, theoretically, where you get some other guys, some World Cup moments, mm-hmm. right? There's, there's a 26 man roster, and there are guys that haven't touched a pitch yet. Should he worry about that, though, or should he worry about putting the best performance forward? I don't know. I yeah. really don't. I, I mean, it's... Because you'd be tempted to give some, maybe some veterans a chance. Like, they're probably not going to be part of the 2026 team. Let's get all those guys a moment. I don't know. I can't think of any off the top of my head. But, mm-hmm. on the other hand, you were like, no, let's give the young guys the opportunity and give them this World Cup experience because we're going to need them in four years. So the real question is, one, are Eustachio and Atiba Hutchinson fit enough to suit up again in the midfield? Because they were done. They were gassed. They were spent. Eustachio was hurt against Croatia. And you've got a certain responsibility, I think, to Eustachio's club team. Like, you want to have good relations with these club teams? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, you don't – you know, obviously, the, if, if this Canada was still alive for – uh, qualifying, you'd be like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't. Care. The club consideration, if he's if he's healthy and ready to go, then then he's going to play. But you do want to maintain those good relationships with the important clubs, with the important players, because you're gonna, you you just want it. You just want it. It makes your organization look better. It makes your organization. Uh, and let's face it, the uh, Canadian soccer organization, CSA. Uh, yeah. Well, I don't even. It's not even called CSA anymore. Just, it's yeah, called sure, Canada sure, Soccer. Sure, sure. It needs to improve its reputation in the world. Now, speaking of relationships between country and association and player, we now turn our attention to Alfonso Davies. I don't know how many people that weren't on Twitter and social media are aware of this story. So I'll just say, if you're unaware of it, just know that it kind of set social media ablaze yesterday. And to be fair, this was an article 
that's from the CBC, say whatever you will about the CBC and what you think of it politically or content-wise. This is a national broadcaster. This is a big platform. And this was essentially the Canadian Broadcasting Corp taking the star player from Canada to task in a very, very dramatic way. What am I talking about? Uh, Chris Jones is a contributor for CBC, and he is live boots on the ground in Qatar. And he wrote a very scathing piece asking, is Alfonso Davies' celebrity a potential problem for Canada's men's World Cup team? Uh, A lot of this, a lot of this has stemmed from criticisms that Alfonso Davies has not met the obligations and requirements of a star player with regards to media and appearances at this World Cup. Uh, I find that... That always goes over well for the media when they complain about uh, media stuff. Yeah, and I find that premise kind of a joke because this is an international tournament. The rules are different. There's no scrums in locker rooms or sidling up to a guy while he's getting changed. FIFA and the international governing bodies, and then the broadcasters dictate a lot of this. I have seen a lot of Alfonso Davies on camera. I've seen sit-downs one-on-one with TSN. He did media to these aforementioned reporters yesterday. Granted, it was much later in the tournament than a lot of them wanted. The issue with this is that there are a lot of allegations and a lot of side eyes and whispers in this piece where it's like where you're kind of asking where is this coming from for example there's a very infamous line now in this piece where it talks about that Alfonso Davies's earrings that he wears are probably cost more money than the salary of the third netminder on this team who is James Pantemis who used to be with CF Montreal and is now out of contract I don't know why that got thrown out there it seems like a really, really, really underhanded way of trying to of trying to embody the gap in profile and salary and star power that is on this team. Well, there's a line from the piece um, basically saying that Canada has a quote unquote growing star problem with Davies in that he's acting like a star. Uh, 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 you would you would you would extrapolate that out of he's acting like an entitled, selfish, superstar athlete, right? It's, it's and I right. and I don't think anyone in their right mind should see Alfonso Davies as that. Look, and I had a real problem with this part of the piece from Chris Jones, who is a very talented writer. Don't get me wrong. He's actually quite. Uh, uh, I mean, he is. He is. A, he, this is not some, just some guy, Chris Jones, right? Like, it's not like, yeah, he's getting a start on his career, right? This guy he's been is. Around for a this long guy's time. been he's around crazy. for a long time. He's good at his craft, but his opinion on this, for me, it just struck me as like really weird, and it made me wonder what was being said behind the scenes over in Qatar. But this p this part. And he's talking about how Davies hasn't spoken to the general media, the the the, yeah. the, the, the non-affiliated, non-rights holder media. Uh, and Chris Jones writes, it arguably arguably remains Davies' responsibility, having benefited benefited from a federally funded program in Canada soccer to help promote the sport, especially at a time when so many eyes are on it. When you're wearing a Canada soccer shirt, you're no longer a private enterprise. You're part of a public trust. To which I think everyone's response was like, 
Uh, nobody has done a better job of promoting yep. the men's side of Canada soccer than Alfonso Davies. Crazy. Just day. by being Alfonso Davies and his story of coming to Canada mm-hmm. from a refugee camp in Africa, coming to Canada, embracing Canada, yeah. working hard, becoming something that we as Canadians can be proud of. Yep. I don't think you have to sit there and be like, ah, he could do more to promote the sport. Oh. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean... It- <laughs> to put it that... Like, if you've got a problem with him not doing media... That's fine, right? Like I know what it's like to do these. Like sometimes it's frustrating, right? Because you, you've got you've got editors basically saying like, "Hey, we need a piece. Uh, when are you going to be able to get some quotes from Alfonso Davies?" So you're like frustrated, sure. and, and and I get that. But that's that's a your problem, right? Yeah. That's and, and that's and and people are never going to respond well to media complaining about media access. It yeah. just doesn't work like that. And I think to draw that conclusion, draw these conclusions, yeah. it's either it's either totally misguided and weird or he's being told something. Like there's something that cuz when I read this I was like that is such a weird take. Yeah. And I was having a discussion with you and a couple of other guys on on uh on chat yesterday and I was like like what's behind this? Are you guys hearing anything about Alfonso Davies behind the scenes in Qatar? No, and you I, guys were kind of flummoxed too. You're like, I don't know. None of it adds up. Even if they're look, put it this way: there's probably uh, some discontent amongst the Canadian program right now, right? They got thrust into a massive spotlight with the John Herdman remarks that was, I think, everyone was really unprepared to deal with. Then came the Croatia match and the inevitable fallout. And I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I think a lot of people, and it's a lot of Johnny-come-lately people, this isn't meant to be, oh, Halford's defaulting to soccer guy status, but there's a lot of people that got parachuted into this tournament. The qualification took everybody by surprise. The success of the team took everybody by surprise. And yet a lot of people that didn't pay attention and didn't subscribe to one soccer and weren't watching all of the games. And then finally, Canada was on the big stage, and you were left to cover this like you would the Olympics, the Stanley Cup final and all the other big events. And the reality of it was there's just there was a lack of nuance and ability to figure out why this team mm-hmm. was eliminated after two matches. So they defaulted to the same old guard media, which is look at the star player and make sure that he's wearing some of this. Now, I will say this. Can you critique Davies for what he did on the pitch in Qatar? Yeah, that's fair game. For example, the penalty against Belgium. Everyone misses penalties. But that was their opportunity. It's it's a, the, the and most, also the way it went down in that he picked up the ball and he's like, "I'm going to take this." Yeah. So the the people that were left in charge to cover this team, quite frankly, did a piss poor job of explaining why he took the penalty and why the penalty went the way that it did. Not discounting the fact that Courtois was absolutely magic on penalties for Real this year. I never saw it get mentioned by anyone. Right. There was not enough of that, and there was too much of well. He didn't talk to me about the penalty, so let's make that the story. It's mm-hmm. not the entire act and the event itself. It's, well, no one explained it to me afterwards. But like you said, th- this is not us saying that Alfonso Davies is beyond critique. On the pitch. On the pitch, sometimes he tried to do too much. Off the Against pitch. Croatia, there were so many times when he gave up the ball. 
And I get it. That's the type of player he's going to be, and that's that's what happens when you have the type of potential. But I didn't think he played very well against Croatia aside from the goal. Well, here's the thing. Um, in our pre-match show on Wednesday at the Hollywood Theater before the Belgium match, we were talking about things to look for. And I remember I had it kind of in my notes, and I didn't want it to come across as like me trying to be like, oh, you know, let's get a spicy hot take or let's yeah. try and act like a real soccer snob. But I did say, look, if there's a concern for Canada with Davies, it's that he does sometimes go directly to hero ball when things aren't going great for Canada. The, the, the time that it really stood out for me was in that. Pre- so he's trying to do everything himself. In the pre-tournament yeah. friendly against Uruguay when they were down 2-0 and all of a sudden it became, well, Alfonso's just going to take the ball and go. Yeah. And some of it was actually kind of admirable because he's so gifted athletically and he's such a talented player. Mm-hmm. And by the way, he is a superstar. And to blame him for getting to superstar status and then using it against him is crazy because you're talking about a guy that came from a refugee camp and came through the Whitecaps of all places and willed himself to be this player, right? Yeah. I don't see too many people giving the Whitecaps kudos for all the development they did <laughs> with Alfonso Davies, okay? Um, what, what happened here was... There was a real inability to properly dissect what happened on the pitch, so they went for they went for drama, and it's it's a sad state of affairs. And look, you know, you can say, oh, there's Halford and Black, Halford and Black, Halford and Bruff calling the pot calling the kettle black here because sometimes when we don't have access, we'll make up things as well. Yeah, but I've never done. I've never seen. Do we? Do we? We have it. We'll, we'll I have heard some stuff. Yeah, You'll hear right, it on I, the other I, side. I, I have heard some stuff. crazy Halford and Black over here. <laughs> yeah, Hal, good old Halford and Black. But I, I do <laughs> think Black. I do think that there was a part of this that it was the most obvious and easy thing to do is take down a star. Mm-hmm. Because let's be honest, uh, you brought up a really good point. Alfonso Davies was never always going to be the golden boy from here until eternity. We've seen countless uh, high profile sports stars that you thought were infallible, infallible right? Yeah. Like, you're like, they'll never scope. Tiger Woods, remember? Tiger, Wood, they're, they're, Tiger Woods was the perfect athlete for you a can, long time. You cannot find a superstar athlete that has never been criticized, and in most cases, rightly so. But you in know? this case, wrongly so. I in, Yeah, right. No, 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 yeah. no. I'm not, I'm not saying this is, but, but because, because it's, the star athletes are human beings, mm-hmm. and sometimes they're going to uh, make human mistakes especially when they play in pressure situations, especially when they've got um, celebrity. Celebrity is a huge challenge. Yeah. It, it really is. It's a, it, it's a huge challenge. Look at Ronaldo. Like, look, you know what I watched the other day is the documentary on Maradona when he yeah. got to Napoli. I'd seen it before, about. but I was on TV and I was like, oh, this is, this is interesting, right? That is, make no mistake about it. That is going to be a challenge for Alfonso Davies because you can lose your mind when you're a celebrity. You can lose your mm-hmm. bearings. Look at Russell Wilson. He has lost his mind. Like the, the way he, he, he acts and the way he portrays himself. If you get, look at the struggles that Pedersen had. In Vancouver, which he's chalked up to, like, oh my God, I just went from a nobody to like this crazy, this all this crazy attention. 
Yeah. And all these people saying, no, I want this from you. No, I want this from you. I want this from you. I want you this from Can you imagine all the, look at all the things that people want from Alfonso Davies now. This is going to be a challenge for him. I'm not saying whether he's up for it or not. I assume that he's up for it because he has met many challenges in his life. But over the next four years, we are going to build to a World Cup hosted in Canada and the United States and Mexico, but Canada. And Alfonso Davies, hopefully, uh, is still going to be a world-class player at that point. He'll only be 26. So if he's not, something terrible has happened. Uh, and he's going to get even more attention going forward. So this is maybe a sign of things to come for Alfonso Davies. And uh, I'm not, we're not defending this piece by any means. The reason we're bringing it up is to, to tear it apart. But I think it is going to be a challenge for him just handling his celebrity status now going forward in Canada. Uh, coming up on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, Manuel Veth is going to join us. You've seen his work at Transfer Market and on Forbes. Uh, we'll talk to him about Canada at the World Cup thus far. Still a match to go against Morocco. And then we'll look at some of the other results and happenings in and around the World Cup from Qatar. Lots more to get to. Don't go anywhere. Alfred Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Seven thirty-five on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Breath of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, hour two of the program, we are right in the midst of it, is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, just spent the better part of a half hour talking about round of 16 at the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Uh, we looked ahead to Sunday's matchups, including England and Senegal. We didn't spend a lot of time doing the U.S. and Netherlands, although kudos to the U.S. for really grinding out that qualification into the round of the 16. And they are, they're the flag carriers for CONCACAF right now, uh, all due respect to whatever Mexico and Costa Rica have in store. That was fairly impressive from the Americans to get through that group mm-hmm. and do what they did yesterday in a must-win against Iran. So, And then, of course, that led into the conversation about Canada not just previewing the Morocco match, but also talking about everything that's going on within this camp, particularly as it pertains to Alfonso Davies. Joining us now, very happy to have him on the program for more on this conversation. Uh, you've seen his work on Transfer Market and in Forbes. Manuel Veth joins us now on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Manuel. How are you? Good. How are you guys? You guys made it safe to work. I saw you got a little bit of snow over there. Yeah, we did make it safe. Uh, I can't say the same for a lot of other people. We were getting text messages that people were stuck in their cars until 3.45 in the morning last night. So, yeah, oh. it, good, on you, good on you for recognizing it. It was a rough morning for Vancouver. Um, and I'm going to be honest, Manuel, it's been a rough 24 hours for the Canadian soccer program mm-hmm. in Qatar. Um, we didn't really know how this tournament was going to unfold over the course of the three group stage matches. And then optimistically, yeah. we were hoping maybe the round of 16, but, um, there was un, there's an unbelievable amount of disappointment of not getting anything from the first two matches being eliminated quickly. And now we're getting the media side of things and the reporting mm-hmm. side of things. And I wanted to get your thoughts when you saw the article from Chris Jones from CBC yesterday come out and really put Alfonso Davies in the crosshairs. And he asked the question in the headline, is Alfonso Davies emerging celebrity going to be a problem for this program? No, it's not. 
<laughs> I mean, no, absolutely not. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what, how, how you guys felt about this article, but um, I mean, I've covered this player for a long time now, right? I, I used to be a beat writer for the, on, on, we used to be on the Vancouver Whitecaps beat when he was still an emerging talent there. Um, I mean, I live on Vancouver Island now, but I spend a lot of time in Munich. I go back and forward um, nonstop pretty much. I cover a lot of Bayern Munich games. And Alfonso Davies doesn't do mixed zone after the match. Uh, for those who don't know, mixed zone is essentially the, the area right after they speak to the rights holders, right? Rights holders can request certain players. The, the mixed zone is where the written press and the non-rights holders stand to wait for the players to walk through. And um, while rights holders can request certain players, we in the mixed zone cannot. And Davies doesn't do mixed zone. And I feel like this this journalist, Chris Jones, um, I felt like he was not getting the quotes that he wanted in the mixed zone. And it felt almost like an attack piece. That's at least how I saw it. Um, look, I think that Alfonso Davies has done a ton for this program um, over the last few years. He came out to play. Um, against some of the really smallest teams in CONCACAF, right? We remember the games against Cayman Islands, for yeah. example, right? That, that long travel that he had to do. And I think it's kind of interesting that now he is the target um, of, of this, what feels like, attack piece. Um, I don't know. I think we're very, very fortunate to have him um, playing for Canada. We, we all know that he has uh, other, had other opportunities to play for other countries, right? whether it's Liberia or even Ghana. And I think that we're very fortunate that he has played for this country and that he represents this country and is very proud to represent this country and is an ambassador for this country when he's playing abroad in the Bundesliga for Bayern Munich and in the Champions League, right? And no, I don't think his stardom is a problem. You know, so to answer your first question, what we thought of it, I was to the point where I almost didn't want to bring it up on the show because I didn't want to give it any oxygen. But I thought that if by not talking about it, um, it's not really going to address the issue, which is this is mm. this is incredibly misguided. And quite honestly, I felt like it was a fallback position for a journalist that, as you put it, wasn't getting what he wanted from the mix zone yeah. or from everything else. Um, the yeah. issue here's the thing, Manuel. I feel as though uh, anything that Davies did on the pitch in this tournament through the two games is valid and ripe for criticism. If you believe that. Maybe he tried to take too much on his shoulders and tried to do too much, and there was the penalty against Belgium. That is all fair play. But to bring Mm -hmm. up something about the price of his earrings being more than the third goalkeeper's salary and saying that he's somehow indebted to the program, I feel like this was a lot of projection, and it could actually be damaging in the long run because this is a player that has star potential, and let's make no mistake about it, is the most talented player on this Canadian roster. Oh, and yeah, by a long shot, right? I mean, there's other players that have talent, John David um, as well, um, who also doesn't speak very much to the media. And then there's Ismail Kone, who is an emerging star. And I think it's, it has the, has the hope, right, to become just as big as um, Jonathan David and Alfonso Davies. But yeah, I mean, criticize for what happened on the pitch. I, I think the penalty, um, a lot of people criticized him for that, right, for missing the penalty against Dalton. But Let's say he doesn't take it, someone else takes it and misses, then the criticism will be, why didn't the biggest star of the team take the penalty? Yeah. Right? I mean, this is like one of those things where when you are the biggest name on a, on a, on a squad, I didn't think he should have taken it. I think uh, Jonathan David or another striker should have taken it. But let's say one of those players miss it, then the media will probably criticize Alfonso Davies for that too. Um, but I don't know. 
criticize the players for what they do on the field. Um, if they don't perform there, that's one thing. But do not criticize them for their appearance. Don't criticize them for how they choose to spend their money. Um, or criticize them for how they choose to speak to the media. That is essentially up to them at the end of the day. And I think we have to respect their privacy. And you know what else bothers me about this piece? And this is maybe my final point on this. Okay. Um, if there was ever any chance that Alfonso Davies would speak in the mixed zone to any journalist and be more open about that, that piece destroyed it. All right. Uh, we are speaking to Manuel Veth from Transfer Market and Forbes here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Um, I have been... I've been disappointed uh, now that the tournament is essentially over for Canada. I know they've got a game mm. against Morocco. Uh, I've been trying to be optimistic because there were some positives to draw. I thought the performance against Belgium was great. Scoring a first goal at the World Cup was great. But at the end of the day, yeah. is it fair, Manuel, to consider the performance thus far by Canada in Qatar a, a disappointment? I thought the Belgium game was really good. Um, the... So I went into this tournament with the expectations that they would go out in the group stage and that anything that they would accomplish there would be um, something that they can draw on, build on for 2026, the tournament that really matters for this country, right? When when we get to host games, including in Vancouver. And so I went into the tournament with that, very low expectations. I do, <laughs> funnily enough, I do the same with my other country, Germany. I always have the, the lowest of all expectations, and I just want to be surprised. Yeah, oh. they never win. <laughs> <laughs> they never win. Um, but, you know, like, that's how I went into this tournament. Um, I thought the Belgium game was really good. I thought that the poking of the bear by John Hurtman ahead of the Croatia game was an interesting tactic. And should probably be more talked about than Alfonso Davies's earrings. <laughs> yes. Um, and you know, the moment that happened, I was I was really worried because I covered Croatia quite closely during the 2018 run, and I remember a training session just before the the, the final, right, where there was only 12 players available. The rest was all in 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 different medical rooms getting treatment for injuries. And Mario Mandzukic scoring that goal with with, um, with a torn ligament in his knee, right, against England just a few hours before. And they are so tough, and you give them any extra motivation, they will just absolutely destroy you. And so I, I was. I think the takeaway from that is to just handle the, maybe the media a little bit better and um, realize the, the opponents and the opponent's culture a bit better, which I think this is a good lesson right there. Um, and I also realized that countries outside of CONCACAF are very, very good. You know, there's, there's some of the, the bigger European countries that maybe some of us maybe underestimated are very, very good. And Croatia is one of them. And I think that is a really good lesson to learn from for 2026. And I think that's that's the big the big thing for this tournament for me, that there's a lot of lessons that we can draw from. And that hopefully in 2026, when Canada hosts, they make the quarterfinals, right? Or maybe go even further. And that is, I think, the ultimate goal. Uh, was it was it important for Canada to have this experience at the World Cup? Because I'm just thinking about Canada soccer as a whole and what mm. this must have felt like going to the World Cup for the first time in 1986. I'm pretty sure n nobody in that organization was part of that yeah. 86 contingent. And besides, things have changed a lot in the world. Mm. I'm just wondering what else you think that they can take from this tournament in terms of the organization as a whole, because this is an association that has received a yeah. great deal of criticism throughout the years and continues to receive quite a bit of criticism. Rightfully so too. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think there's, you know, the, the, 
projection, maybe ensure that your star player doesn't get attacked by our state-funded uh, media. Um, ensure that the the organization leading up to the tournament isn't about how players get paid, but you know, um, is more about how you prepare your players for a tournament like this. Um, media training, I think, is a big part of it too uh, for for the players, but also maybe for the coaching staff. And then I think on the, uh, the the field stuff, all the stuff that you experience on the field for the players, I think, you know, three games at the World Cup, that is that is a huge lesson um, as well. As you see it with countries that make it in, at the World Cup for the first time um, or haven't been at the World Cup for a while and then come back, right? They always They always struggle at their first World Cup. And then they build on that and they learn from it and they go to other tournaments. I mean, there is rumors that maybe um, Canada will be participating at the Cuba America, right? And right. I think that would be fantastic. That, that, those are the kind of things that you need. You need maybe aim to win a gold cup, right? I mean, that's a secondary competition, but it still gives, gives the squad experience on how to deal with a tournament and the ups and downs that can happen at a tournament and the, some of the disappointments that you maybe get and, Everything that happened at this tournament, I think, is a one huge lesson. And Canada soccer as an organization, we all know, needs to be more professional, right? Mm-hmm. And um, this is one of those things where over the next four years, Canada soccer, the players, the management, the training staff, everyone has to draw their conclusions from this and build for 2026. Uh, Manuel, one more before we let you go. And I do want to look ahead to the Morocco match here. And I, I was talking to Jason earlier and I said, I think that maybe some of the more new and novice fans of this team, the Canadian team that is, are going to realize uh, just how difficult this group is when they see Morocco, who many thought would be, oh, this is the game where Canada can get something from. This is a Moroccan team that is littered with players that are playing for high-end clubs in top five European leagues. Mm -hmm. The names go on and on and on. And aside from that, they're also playing for their World Cup future and lives here in this final match. So really quickly for our listeners, set up what we can expect between Morocco and Canada tomorrow. Yeah, this is a really good team, right? Everyone, as you said, plays in a top four league, and not only just top four league, but in one of the top ten teams in the top four league, um, which is where Canada is just not at yet, right? Which is not there yet in terms of having that sort of player pool. And I did a preview when, we, when I previewed this group, and I, I looked at uh, Belgium, and I said, okay, well that's hard. And I looked at Croatia, and I was like, that's very hard. And I looked at Morocco, and I'm like, okay, what well, is the silver lining? And then I looked at their squad, and said, oh my god, that team's really good as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a really, really good team, and Morocco could very well get out of this group, right? They have a lot of star names. Uh, unfortunately, the goalkeeper could be could have also played for Canada, so we missed out there. But um, yeah, this is a great, great team, and this is going to be a really, really tough task. Um, of course, you want to get out of the World Cup with a high, right? Maybe even a win. But Morocco, Morocco needs a result here. So I think what people should take away, they should watch this game because it is a World Cup. It might not matter as much anymore because Canada can't get out of the group. But there, there is something that you can learn from a match like this, right? And Morocco is a very good team. And look how Morocco learned from the experience four years ago as well, right? And just just look at this this matchup and see see some of these really high-end players. And this is where Canada, Canada wants to get to. Uh, Manuel, this was great. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. If you're up for it, I'd love to do it again later on in the tournament. Absolutely, 100%, anytime. Great, thank you. We appreciate it. That's Manuel Veth from Transfer Market and Forbes here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Good insight there. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard that Canada might get 
invited to the Copa America. Oh, yeah. 2024. So this is actually going to be important for Canada because they don't have to qualify for 2026. So how can they get some matches that mean something? How can they convince their players to come over and play essentially meaningless games? Well, a tournament that involves Argentina, Brazil, uh, Colombia, all these top South American teams. Plus, it might also involve, I imagine 2024, it might also involve Mexico and the United States because they might be like, yeah, let's get everyone who's hosting that tournament mm-hmm. come down to the Copa America. We'll have a party. We'll, we'll play some yeah. pretty good soccer. And that will coincide with the, the Euros going on uh, that summer of 2024. They've kind of, they've kind of expanded beyond it being just a South American tournament to try and get the Conca. And I think that's a, it's a CONCACAF teams and both federations have worked. Did Qatar play in it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So that sometimes was, they'll invite the they'll invite the Well, that the was World Qatar's tune-up for the World Cup. Right. Right, because they, they didn't mm-hmm. have to qualify either. So they needed a tournament but, of but, that nature. But we talk about the challenges for Canada soccer going forward over these next four years, and some of them are just like, be better at this stuff. Be better at the media stuff. Be better at figuring out your business with the players. Get, develop a better relationship with the players. But another challenge is going to be, how do you organize the team before a World Cup when you don't have to qualify for that World Cup? And it's going to be a lot of reaching out to uh, federations around the world and trying to book games because they need these tune-ups. Um, just a point of clarification: Qatar went to the Gold Cup, not the oh, okay. Cup of America okay. in twenty twenty-one, but that was their warm-up for it. Right? Um, yeah. No, I think there. Look, there's there's so many different things going on right now with Canada at the World Cup. Um, it's a multi-pronged story to try and cover now. One of them is the reality that a lot of people are going to be checked out now. Like, I understand that once Canada was eliminated. There was going to be an inevitable fall off in interest because a lot of people are going to be like, oh, that was nice. It was cute to see them play. They got their goal and then shut off the TVs and go away. Um, The other part of it is what we're seeing from the boots on the ground reporters and media and broadcasters in Qatar in trying to. I think they're really having a hard time wrapping their head around what the narrative and what the trajectory of this program is. Mm -hmm. And really, I think they're having a hard time. They're looking at it and saying, what just happened? What exactly just happened? Did Canada fail did canada succeed is this a disappointment well, I should re- this be lionized it's it's tough i know? want to read a text from eric okay. even your guest considers this world cup a positive experience for canada i still can't get over how jason said before it started all he wanted was for canada to score a goal and that now not getting past the bracket round is a disappointment you guys lost your perspective by raising your expectations uh, this is all gravy, all of it. I'm thrilled they qualified, thrilled they were so close to beating Belgium, and glad they scored versus Croatia. So, Eric, I just want to separate it. I'm not as frustrated as Halford with the the overall performance. I thought the Belgium experience was good that they played that well. I couldn't believe how well they were playing against a side like Belgium. But as the day wore on, I started to stew a little bit like, "Ah, I can't believe we didn't score. But overall, I thought it was positive. Now, the Croatia match, um, for me, it was disappointing, but definitely not as disappointing for me as it was for Halford, which he's explained. But you said that we changed our expectations. I will cop to that. I changed my expectations when I saw how they played against Belgium. Was I wrong to do that? 
Probably, but that's what happened. That's what happened when I saw them dominate a Belgian team that FIFA had ranked number two. I suddenly started to dream about, hey, get a result against Croatia and get a win over Morocco and maybe you'll go to the round of 16. Don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting here. I'm not like dying of of disappointment. I'm a little disappointed, but Halford, like I, you can admit it, like you're more disappointed than I am yeah. for reasons which you've explained because the Croatia game well, didn't, a, didn't didn't just go badly. It went no, really Eric's badly. Eric's got this whole thing wrong. Is this a is this a unifyingly positive experience for this program? Is it? John Herdman became an international punching bag. Alfonso Davies got thrown under the bus. They didn't win a game. They were the second team eliminated, and they scored once. <laughs> Was it super positive? But there based were, on but based on expectations, you did not expect. I told you what Canada to get out of this. My expectation group. was uh, they should get their first goal at the World Cup, and that match against Morocco should mean something. That was an expectation. It's ridiculous to think anything otherwise. There are countless teams that are still alive on final match day today, right? All of them that are all of them that are in the tournament right now on Wednesday are alive in their last match. It might be mathematically impossible or near impossible, but they're all there. Yeah. Right? Australia is playing for a spot. Saudi Arabia is playing for a spot. It has been a confusing tournament, and I remember after that Belgium game, remember the first thing I said was like, I don't think I've ever been this torn by a result in sports. Because on the one hand... It just doesn't have to be so black and white that like we got there, and yeah, it didn't go our way, but let's still try and draw the positives. That's I, I feel like it needs a more nuanced conversation because it's a way more nuanced situation. They're also playing this against the backdrop of a federation that seems at time determined to screw up what they're doing on the field. Let's not throw that out the window. And finally, finally, it has to be said that everything that is the majority of the things that have happened with this uh, soccer association since they qualified for the World Cup in March. Let's say that was the high mark. Mm-hmm. Beat Jamaica 4 0 at home in Toronto in front of your own fans. You get to celebrate your first time to the World Cup in 36 years. What's happened with this program since then? How many good moments have they had since they qualified? There was the debacle with the Iran match yeah, yeah. that was eventually canceled. Yeah. There was the players not showing up for the next friendly against Panama. So not only not only did they not get to play very important friendlies, mm-hmm. they came in with a lot of acrimonious feelings, right? Basic, yeah. And then a hastily arranged friendly against Bahrain. They get the Uruguay match. They get the Japan match. It looks like things are going back on a, on a good plane. They go in against Japan. They get a good result going into the tournament. Belgium, I don't know what else to tell you. I'll say it until the day that I die. They should not have lost that match. They should have at the very least been able to come out of it with a point. They were gifted a penalty in the 10th minute. They had the kind of statistics that the World Cup has not seen in terms of a slanted field of play since Yeah, but you're taking that as a negative, and some people are taking that as a positive. I'm not that taking they were it able- as a negative. Yeah, okay. It was a tremendous performance. Yeah. But in hindsight, it was an opportunity blown. Mm-hmm. It can be both. It can be both. This soccer report was brought to you by CertainTeed, the pro's choice for roofing, siding, drywall, insulation, and ceiling systems. CertainTeed pro all the way. We'll get back into the Canucks talk coming up next with Dan Murphy. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.